friends, and welcome. This is the Happy Warrior Podcast, fresh takes on the most important and little known stories of the day, hosted by the Happy Warrior Substacks and everyone's favorite conservatarian journo and disabled otaku, Pete Pishke. Hello and welcome, everyone. This is the Happy Warrior Podcast. I have with me today Batya Ungar Sargon. It is a pleasure to have her with us today. She wrote an excellent book about the world of journalism and what it's really like behind the scenes and why that is. You may know her as the Deputy Opinion Editor of Newsweek. Before that, she was the Opinion Editor over at The Forward. Great to have with you uh, with us here today, Batya. Thank you so much for agreeing to do it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm really glad we finally connected. <laughs> me too. Excellent. Okay, so uh, I just went through the book again last night. I've now read it twice. Excellent book, but uh, let's just jump in. Give us the, the elevator pitch. What is your book about? So the elevator pitch is, I think a lot of us, including a lot of us on the left, um, have noticed a big shift in the way that we are given our media over the last five, 10 years. Um, essentially, we are in this moment of, you know, it's often called quote unquote racial reckoning, but what it actually is, is just, you know, a time when our news media is obsessed with issues of identity of race and gender. What I argue in the book is that this really has a lot more to do with class than it does with race or even with politics and political polarization. Essentially, journalism used to be a working class trade. And today, American journalists are part of the elites. And as they made that ascent, that status revolution from working class trade to part of this sort of elite caste, they abandoned the working class. And the sort of woke moral panic that we're seeing today around race is just the latest stage of that abandonment. Essentially, they'd rather talk about race than talk about income inequality and a class divide in America that they've actually benefited from. That's the thesis in a nutshell. Okay, cool. So how long have you been working journalism? You, you seem like uh, from your many bylines, you're a pro <laughs> at this point. Um, I think I got my first byline in 2012. So yeah, 10 years by now. Okay, that's pretty cool. So you you started in you you really were go, getting going in journalism right when a lot of this was starting to change. Yeah. I was in uh, J school at that point. So I, I came in a bit later. What, what what is journalism like the book is really about like you said it's about uh, what's happened to journalism why it is the way it is some very uncomfortable truths about how what race is actually a stand-in for often in the newsroom not just like the topics they're covering but like how the newsroom operates the politics there so wait let me ask you something so you're you're on the conservative side of things Right. So you were in J school as a conservative around 2012. Like, what was that like? Did you experience like the kind of, you know, the 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 monoculture? Was it already there? Like what what was it like being a conservative and going through that experience? I definitely was much more conservative back then. I do write a lot in conservative, but I'm not sure I consider myself exactly that. But I mean, uh -huh. I'm still more conservative than like 98% of people were right. in news. It, it was kind of crazy. Your book, you know, this is why I really liked your book. It spoke to me in many ways about my own experiences in newsrooms. 
working there and what's changed because when I was in because you talk about this in your book when I entered J school in my first jobs in journalism there was a sense that if you were conservative this was an environment that was a very left one but for the most part it was open no one ever told me when I was coming up mm -hmm. In, in J school in those first newsroom jobs, like at the local TV news station, the radio station, hey, you're conservative, you, know, you shouldn't even try, there's no chance for you here, why bother, or you know, worse, you're not welcome, what's wrong with you, scum? Whereas I can find all of that today yeah. uh, in spades. Yeah. The, the book is it's just excellent. Uh, here, here's a good place to start. So if you were talking to a normal person and you were like, okay, I'm a journalist, they, they're coming to you, maybe they've seen Fox News, maybe they've seen MSNBC, maybe they're, uh, as you write about so eloquently in your book, uh, the New York Times, how do you tell a normal person what it's really like look, working in a newsroom today? Because I know a lot of people, when they, they, they think of journalism, they have a much older image in their head, and I'm not sure they're, they're aware <laughs> quite, right, quite right. how tough it is to make it in this business today. Yeah, I think like in our mind, we have the image of like, you know, his girl Friday, right? You know, these like scrappy reporters who are out there chasing down stories, like trying to get working class people to tell them what's going on, trying to reflect the little guy and trying to fight power, right? You know, speaking truth to power. And today, essentially what journalism is, it's speaking power to truth, right? It's saying like, no, you know, it's there's a lot of sort of defense of your political party. So because the vast majority of journalists are liberals, they essentially are in the position of defending people in power, defending people like Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, because a lot of them are progressives, right? They see themselves as being the great defenders of, you know, the Biden administration or, you know, that, that essentially because journalists today, they go to school with politicians, they live amongst the wealthy because they are part of the top 10%, right? That's who their community is. That's who they're speaking to. That's where they're speaking from. And, you know, especially during the pandemic, they don't leave those communities. You know, they barely leave their apartments anymore. And because so much of uh, media is digital, a lot of it is now essentially done, you know, literally from within like some fancy apartment in Park Slope, right? Like how much of real America are you going to get represented there? And exactly like you said, it's, it's the status revolution came from outside. So it's like, you know, a, a, a starting salary in a digital journalism job, and of course, the vast majority of you know journalism jobs today are digital, is $35,000 a year, but you have to live in New York, San Francisco, DC, LA, like the most expensive cities in America. So who can afford to live in New York City on $35,000 a year? Somebody whose parents are rich. The majority of journalists today don't just have a college degree, but have a graduate degree. It's a vanity degree. I don't think you could teach somebody journalism, really. You can't teach them how to be a good listener or question their biases, right? But so they have to spend $70,000 on this vanity degree. And then, of course, the first thing they do is start agitating for $50,000 in student loan debt, right? Like, because they're now asking working class people to pay off that debt. But essentially, it's prohibitive to get into this industry right now, you, the New York Times, uh, the Washington Post, NPR, these people take their interns from the top 1% of universities. So, I mean, even just take that into, okay, so who do you have entering journalism? Rich kids who went to like stupid fancy schools, right? Mm -hmm. Where they learn to have contempt for, you know, religious people, anybody who's not educated in the way that they are, right? And then, and they learn critical race theory, right? That's what they're picking up. And then they bring that back into the newsrooms with them. And the way an editor at the New York Times once put it to me, he was like, imagine if the people coming up in, below you in the industry not only had better tech skills than you, 
So they were not only threatening you at a very technical level by being like, we can, you know, produce video, produce audio, get stuff on Twitter, use Twitter, right? In a way that will get more people to read our stories. But if you say something they don't agree with, they're going to call you racist. And you'll understand the terror that older generations of journalists who are hanging on in this dwindling industry feel towards the younger generation who's coming up. And then you'll understand how wokeness is proliferating and why the older generation is not acting as a bulwark against this nonsense. Oh, it is. It is just downright crazy. <laughs> the state, the state of people don't. It is. It is. It's just like it's like a shrinking. It's like this always oh, continually shrinking ship. So there are fewer and fewer spots open on the on the life raft. Yeah, it's exactly. Just like, exactly. Like, it's just like people going out like like with exactly. the tongs, just trying to take each other out. It's but madness. I have to say, like that's kind of why I'm not so I'm not one of these people who's like obsessed with cancel culture because to me, cancel culture is sort of like they're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's like elites mm-hmm. policing who's going to get the last seat, like you said, in the life raft. But it's like all of those people will get jobs if they're not like famous journalists. You know, there's not one person who's been canceled who's like struggling to feed their child, right? This is, that's just about elites placing each other. I don't really care about that. I care much more about like the fact that they don't care about the working class that like 90% of Americans don't have a voice. Like that's the thing that I care about is like the the other parts of this, like the deplatforming of anybody who's working class, anybody who thinks that there's a difference between men and women, you know, anybody who believes that like a colorblind society is actually like good you know what I mean like all of these views have been turned into like forbidden taboos as a way of elites consolidating their elite power and hoarding you know the spots in the life raft so I don't really care if they push one rich person over the side of the right life raft and that person has to like Mm -hmm. god forbid go into PR you know what I mean or find some other white collar job where they're actually going to still be making $150,000 a year right like that's sort of not really where my focus is I care a lot about the class struggle aspect of this it is you make an excellent point in your book that I mean, there are a lot, you bring some very good explanations for why, especially race in the last two years is just taking over everything in news, just yeah. everything. You cannot get through, I swear, you can't get through a single news segment in NPR some days without like the most odd mundane things and they'll find, find a way to tie it to race. Well, so at NPR, the reason that's happening is because they literally, um, your performance review is related to how many people of color, minorities and non-cis gender heterosexual men you interview that that's why that's happening wow. because yeah they literally have a tally they keep a tally of people who are interviewed on NPR and the the goal now is to sort of excise all white men huh. from it and you know I'm all for diversification of sources that's very important sometimes you know the knee jerk is just to go and interview men and that's terrible whatever but like literally at NPR right now every story every story on opera every story on anything is about ends up being about race because the only people that they are allowed to interview at this point or the only, you know their performance is essentially tied to interviewing people who are non-white and so there's this like this literal mandate to turn everything into race and gender and of course that's just ridiculous and embarrassing and you know not real journalism well this is something that my i heard on separate occasions from some friends and family members and the, ba- the basic message i've heard in the last year is that you know I you know I used to watch a lot more news than I than I do right now and the thing is I watch the news and it doesn't feel like they're they're providing any really news about things that are real or things that really affect me and it seems like they're always about the same few stories 
And they're just not really talking about things that matter to me. And there's a very good reason for that. And that's because of the people, the news are really that they live in a whole nother universe where the this what's happening to people of the upper classes and it is very important news and they have less time for things that are more mundane so you talk like how crime reporting how it used to when we were more working class industry crime reporting talking about things that impact directly um on people today that was important but that's because their audience was was actually working class. Whereas now their audience, their audience are people who can afford uh, designer, you know, watches, and they can they can they can think about their trip to the Caymans next year or whatever it is. And uh, it doesn't seem to really really affect people where they're really at, and that's super frustrating. I've heard that multiple times. Okay, so here's here's a good question for you. Considering what has happened in the newsroom, what would you tell someone that's like, okay, I want, I want to enter journalism, or I want to change things that are happening now? What do you tell them? Because as you point out in the book, there's not a good way for people of working class dance really to enter. And I, I, I kind of noticed this too. When I was working local news here, there many, many people still working there was working class. But my experience is talking with people in national media is that, especially with the mainstream outlets, uh, they don't really have the same cultural background as me. I'm more working class and, and they have, ex we're just, we're just completely different experiences. What do you, what do you tell people that want to enter journalism or people that want to change that? What, what do we do? Right. Like, so the, the, the way in right now is to be rich. That's number one. So if you can manage that, you know, <laughs> if you can manage to turn your parents rich, um, I mean, I'm being facetious, but you know, I think the, the, the ways in right now are like be rich or come from like have a marginalized identity. Like those are two ways that like essentially you could get in. If you're a working class person, like, you know, it's very sad, but I would say like, you know, you know, look, look to conservative media, you know, because like liberal media just has no place for that. And it's, it's very depressing. Um, I work in opinion journalism. And the thing about opinion journalism is it is very identity focused. It is very much about where a person sits in the world. You know, I tell people when they're pitching, like, you know, the feeling that I'm going for with an op-ed is essentially, it's as if you've sort of walked into a bar and sat down next to a stranger and the news came up on the TV screen and the, the stranger turns to you and goes, get a load of this, you know, and you are the <laughs> perfect person to look at them and go, well, actually, you know, and blow up what they thought they knew about that topic. That's sort of, so, so op-eds are very much about credibility, but in terms of reporting, like a person who wants to, to get into reporting, who wants to become a reporter, who wants to tell stories, you know, look around you, find a story that nobody is telling that um, is tied to big questions that we're asking ourselves. Find um, the black parents who have been abused and abandoned by the public school system. You know, find the trans people who think that trans women competing in women's sports are, are, de are destroying the future of, of young women from working class backgrounds who this is their only shot at like having, you know, some kind of greatness, you know, find the people who nobody's talking to or talking about and interview them and tell their stories and you know, pitch Newsweek, pitch me. But also, you know, if you can do that, if you can tell those stories, the counterintuitive takes, there will be an audience for that. Like if you can find the people whose voices have been silenced, I will help you find an audience for that. Like that's, you know, you know, Fox News will tell that story or you will, you will be able to place that story. I mean, I, I do think that there be a storyteller, give people a voice who are not being given a voice. 
like you'll find a way to get those out there. Very true. And I thank goodness for those other outlets and people yeah. like you who are brave enough willing to take on some of these subjects. Yeah. <laughs> you are a little brave because I know even touching, even it, it seems like this, it is breaking more so lately that you can talk about more, but like the, the uh, trans sports issue, it still feels so verboten in some circles. So uh, good for you. I mean, for you have to like ask you yourself, what percentage of Americans think that there's no difference between men and women like irrespective of what i think because i went to those fancy schools i got that stupid education okay so irrespective mm -hmm. of that what percentage of americans do you think think that there's no difference between men and women or think that the word for a woman for a person who gives birth to another person is not woman like what percentage of women of people have that view i would say it's probably like limited to the progressives to the people who call themselves progressive and we know that they're 6% of the population, but they are 100% of the journalists who are not in conservative media, right? So 100% mm -hmm. of the journalists in liberal media are representing 6% of the population. Like, how did that happen that anyone who's outside that 6%, their view is forbidden, like on CNN? It's just, how did that happen you know that 100% of working class people, including working class liberals, their view has become like it's it's cast as a kind of moral perversion. And I don't think that's by accident. You know, it's it's a way of consolidating power, consolidating elite power. And, you know, they always find some victim that can make them feel like heroes while they are consolidating power. You know, and it's it's uh, you see again and again how it's like actually they are actually betraying the people who need them the most. Like they are, you know, you see this with the black community, the routine betrayal of the Amer of Americans descended from slavery in the name of anti-racism. You know, so yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm very brave. There are like war correspondents and people who are actually like brave, but you know, I I do think that like there's no point in being a journalist if like if, there's no point in being a journalist if you're not going to say what you think like you know it's if you want to just be famous there are better ways to be famous if you want to be rich there are better ways to be rich like the only point in being in this job is to tell the truth but it's like for so many journalists today it seems like the thing they're in it for is the kind of like weird internet fame i don't really get it at all <laughs> That's probably because i think you you earn yourself a, a decent paycheck i think at some point this is from personal experience. When you feel like you aren't, you aren't make you aren't make, really making money. You're not really getting the attention of like your peers inside the newsroom. I think internet fame, and I think I'm 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 a fairly well reasonable kind of mild personality. But I know that that can be very attractive. And I hate to use the terminology here, uh, addictive for a lot of people. I think that I think that that special clout, you know, you're being talked about, and look at all these people who say they're listening oh. to you, and they're like, oh, you're so amazing, Peter. What a hero. Uh, that kind of stuff can get addictive quite quite quickly. You, you have to be like, look, I'm I'm just I'm only human. I just I just have to take it upon myself. You know, it, 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 it's I know I'm I know I'm laughing. I mean, I'm laughing too, but I mean the it really is a power grab. I mean, it's a power grab. It's not just like like powers in the sense of like, oh, I want to make more money, you know, I, I want to make more next year than I did this year. It's also power grab in the sense of what the control you want to have um around your peers around these issues and around your, right, your it's, audience it's like you get to be an influencer without having to have been on the bachelor yeah <laughs> yeah 
No. I love The Bachelor. I'm a big fan of that show. I think it's fabulous. You said a big thing that people don't understand, and I didn't really understand this too, but think about it, you are right. You said that the reason why conservative media is so attractive to people is not because it's conservative, but because it's still trying to talk to the, the forgotten culture, the working class. And that because it's trying to talk to that culture, it's thus going to be a bit more conservative because that's what the population is. Mm -hmm. Why do you totally think it is? And what do you think that means for people who are like, I kind of like what they're doing at Fox News, but sometimes they're playing too loose and fast with the truth. What does that mean exactly for uh, consumers and maybe those that want a little better takes in their conservative news? So I'm a bit of a Fox cheerleader. I, I watch Fox all day. I have Fox and CNN both up because as an opinion editor, it's sort of my job to mm -hmm. follow the news. And I've, I've never seen them lie about anything. I've never seen them. I mean, during the day for sure. And during the news segments, they cover January 6th very extensively. They covered the anniversary very extensively. Um, they covered it by having on, you know, Adam Kinzinger, the, the uh, one of two of the uh, uh, Republicans who are on the January 6th committee. Like they, I, so I don't know when people talk about, I, I've not, I can't point to anything that they got wrong. Certainly not that they got as wrong as like, you know, MSNBC and CNN got Russiagate wrong, you know, or the Steele dossier wrong, or, you know, the Glenn Youngkin elect, you know, victory wrong. Like I can't. So, and the thing is like, yeah, exactly. Like you said, like, so only 24% of Fox News's audience has a college degree. The vast majority of their viewers are working class. They do have, you know, a, you know, some rich conservatives watching them, but they also have a lot of working class and a lot of poor conservatives watching them. They unite rich and poor around cultural issues. My beef with them is that they haven't, they don't represent the economic interests of the working class, but I don't think the left does either. I mean, like I said, I watch CNN and Fox all day, but I, I do think that Fox gets it right much more frequently. And they are speaking to a working class audience. They know who their audience is. So in 2012, CNN's audience, also only 24% of them had a college degree, but they lost that. They've, they've now, it's almost 50% have a college degree. So in 10 years, CNN lost 50% of its working class audience. Like something they were doing, something they started doing in 2012, signaled to working class liberals that this is no longer the channel for you. And so to me, that's really telling, like the difference between the two of them is not about uh, politics and it's definitely not about race. It's about class. It's about who they're picturing as their audience. And when you're picturing a working class audience, you're going to be more conservative because spoiler alert, working class people, irrespective of who they vote for, are more conservative because they didn't go to these stupid fancy universities where they learn crazy ideas like that it's racist to want a colorblind society. Like they have a much more just conservative way of seeing the world. Even the black community is much more conservative than the progressive elites that claim to represent them. I mean, two thirds of black Americans call themselves moderate or conservative. So I actually think that that is actually a huge indictment of the Republican party. Like, where are you? Like just ignoring <laughs> mm -hmm. this community that two thirds of them are literally a potential base for you. So I think that's really important. That's what I want to see is Republicans really sort of taking things like school choice and, um, you know, law and order into into communities that really, really are hungry for those things, for good education, for their children and for safe streets. But again, like all of these are class issues and they get cast by liberals as race issues so they can avoid talking about class because they benefit from the class divide. They're on the rise. You know, this meritocratic elite has ridden sort of the knowledge industry economy, like, you know, up to the top 10 percent even as that same economy has immiserated working class Americans.
I think you're definitely right that I think the reason why there's such huge growth for the pop what's referred to as the populist conservative press, I think much of it, people want to think it's really like a, it's like a political thing or a Trump thing. And many, and sometimes it definitely is, but a lot of it is, it's just, look, no one else is willing to talk about these things in a way that comes from a worldview. They understand when I try to write a culture story about some show or movie and like, you know, people that have long-term relationship with this, like star Wars are like, they don't really kind of appreciate what you guys are trying to do here, trying to make it this new thing. And they really, people, especially in news, they, they have a hard time understanding, like even a cultural piece coming from a different direction, why that would be a legitimate right. worldview and not just something that's just what bad people say. So I think there's a huge, there's just a big void. I think if you are interested in being in journalism or talking about stuff, there's a huge audience there. I think your totally. book shows that. Totally. So, okay, so you finished this project. Um, what what are you moving on to uh, next, Batya? And what do you think you learned from this book that you wish you could have done uh, more on or better? Um, and what's what's some of the positive feedback you've gotten working on this project? Oh wow, what great questions! The next project I'm hoping to work on is I want to write a book about how Americans are a lot less polarized than we think. I, I think polarization is really an elite phenomenon and you know, as soon as you get out of the communities that are literally making money off of polarization, which is journalism and politics uh, mm-hmm. and the consultant class, um, Americans are just a lot less polarized than we think. We're much more united around the values that this great nation was founded on than anybody wa- anybody at the top wants us to believe. So I really, I hope that's going to be my next project. Something I learned from working on this I would say um, the the my intuition, which was that there's a hunger for economic populism among working class conservatives, was very much borne out. And I and um, the idea that sort of the real lesson of the Trump era is not that conservatives want to see politicians brawling on Twitter, but that they want to see the kind of economic populism that Trump really represented. Um, that was very. I, I was very excited to learn that because I do think that among working class Americans, conservative or liberal, um, there's a lot of unity. And so I'm really hoping to highlight that and sort of bring that more to the fore in the future. Okay. Well, thank you, Batya, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for writing such an excellent book. I I love these kind of, I know I really enjoy these. uh, What's it like working in journalism books? That's always been a, that's an old favorite of mine. My, my only really big critique though I have with your book Mm -hmm. was that there was no audio book and thus required me to use my eyes to read said book. But other than that, it's really good. I recommend people pick it up if they even have an inkling of interest. And in audiobook like is coming. News. Okay. Okay. I look forward to that. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you so you much, Bob. So yeah, this much. has been the Happy thank Warrior you. Podcast. Until we meet with you again, my good friends, have a wonderful night. Thank you for listening to the Happy Warrior Podcast. Intro and outro narrated by Nicole Carino. Music by O-Wires. If you like what you hear today, please go to thehappywarrior.substack.com and subscribe. Be sure to follow us at happywarriorp on Twitter. Email is happywarriorp at protonmail.com.
Thank you for listening to the Happy Warrior Podcast. Intro and outro narrated by Nicole Carino. Music by O-Wires. If you like what you hear today, please go to thehappywarrior.substack.com and subscribe. Be sure to follow us at happywarriorp on Twitter. Email is happywarriorp at protonmail.com. 